this one time at band camp. We look back at American Pie from the late 90s and get very awkward on today's episode of that song from that movie. Amigos, thank you for joining that song from that movie, our journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. This is going to be slightly different because there might be a chance this one's explicit because of all the naughty sexual things. There might be an explicit one on this. <laughs> naughty. <laughs> Let's crack on with some introductions. As your host and with the ladies, you know, you, you want to know how I do this. So I just ask questions and they just say shit and I listen. I'm Dietrich. <laughs> Super advice, that isn't it? Super. So, ready for this one. How sweet it is to be loved by Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What? Wow. I serenade you, and that's all you've got. Yeah, well, you know, I don't have to say anything else, Steve. You said it for me. And I think we all know which one I was going to pick for Ben. He's a sophisticated sex robot sent back in time to change the future for one lucky lady. It's Ben. Oh, I, I prefer some sort of Terminator-related pun for the name, but... The Beninator. Beninator doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> I need to work on it. Sherbeninator? Sherbeninator. Yep, let's go for Sherbeninator. Beninator. Sherbeninator. Sherbeninator. How are you two today? Super. Yeah. <laughs> That's the word of the day. The nice weather's gone, so now we're feeling how lockdown truly is. Miserable. Yep. <laughs> it feels more like a nuclear winter now, doesn't it? It's like getting a bit grimmer. It really does, yep. A bit grey clouds. I'm so glad that I went to my weekly shop, my one excursion out a week on Monday when it wasn't raining. Did not want to stand outside the supermarket in the pouring rain. That's why you go at six in the morning like I do. There was literally nobody in Morrison's. Is that because you technically count as NHS staff? Yeah. Yeah. Should we, should we give you an applause? Uh, no. <laughs> if you're listening to this at Thursday at 8 o'clock, pause and go outside, you, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, just play this really loud out your window. <laughs> yeah. Actually clapping myself. So today's episode is Mutt by Blink-182 from the teen sex comedy American Pie. I thought it was Blink-182. <laughs> it's definitely Blink-182, isn't it? That's how I've always referred to it. You want Blink-182. 182. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 180. So uh, what happened when American Pie came out? This week, it's my turn. So Ben, do the noise. <laughs> okay, so it came out in uh, July 1999. I probably should have said that before I cracked on with the, what happened. Uh, so the UK was gearing itself for the turn of the new millennium and the huge party that comes with that turn of the millennium. So this was a great time for Tim Martin. Uh, do you guys know who Tim Martin is? Absolutely no, I do Not a clue. Well, he is the bellend owner of pub chain JD Weatherspoons. Okay, yep. So he decided July 1999 was the perfect time to confirm that all JD Weatherspoons and associates would be closing at 8.30pm on New Year's Eve to call in the new millennium with all their pubs closed. Well, that doesn't even make good business sense. Why, why did they do that? The closest I could find was another chain not run by Weatherspoons saying that they had considered but decided against it, thinking that people would be having street parties instead of going out. Oh, so it was it, they they wouldn't make enough money because they didn't think people would turn up, so they just decided to close everything. 
nor does Doug. That was that was the theory, yeah. But also, Tim Martin is not a nice person who runs Weatherspoons. Like <laughs> recently, with the lockdown, telling his staff that they shouldn't be paid or look for furlough. Instead, they should just try uh, apply their local Tesco for a job if they're struggling. Oh yeah, I remember that. Sounds like a lovely, lovely man. Well, what would you expect? Yes, and clearly has not uh, softened in the past twenty years. Nope, and he will be the same at the next millennium. <laughs> there still probably will be Weatherspoons, will there? Everything's just Weatherspoons. Weatherspoons own Tesco. It would make more sense then than when he tells them to go work for Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> they can just move their contracts over, guy. Yeah, just a huge conglomerate. So, uh, like, quite an obscure online bookseller, a uh, little company called Amazon, uh, made their first step in broadening their horizons, let's say. So they announced that they'd bought out an online auction house, expanding Amazon from just being a bookseller to include other items such as rare coins, sports memorabilia, and post-World War II collectibles. <laughs> Is that where they made most of their money? I don't know quite how they managed to get from that to where they are now, where they essentially own absolutely everything. It's like a trigger moment, wasn't it? It's, you know, like when um, they talk about one moment in time, would you go back uh, to save, you know, like to kill someone or do something, and people would say, oh, go back and kill Hitler or something. This is going to be the <laughs> one. People are going to go back to this moment, July 1999, to stop Amazon taking over the world. <laughs> kill Jeff Bezos. Alexa, buy World War II memorabilia. Are you trying to shop for World War II memorabilia? I am, yes. Hmm. I don't understand. <laughs> she doesn't understand. Clearly they've lost their way in the uh, in the last 20 years. Okay. I love that. She... I don't understand. <laughs> Honestly. They clearly must have sold out in 1999. No more World War II memorabilia exists. <laughs> That's why they'll start World War III. <laughs> just, for the, just for the marketing purposes. Yeah. Buy your World War III tomahawk here. Tomahawk. Collectible £5 coin from the Royal Mint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it'll cost £14.99. Reduced from 23 or something. Yeah, with free posts and packaging. Yeah, yeah. As long as you got Prime. So in a bit of synergy, my last What Happened actually links to the film we're talking about today. <laughs> Continuity, yeah. Following pressure from President Bill Clinton, movie theaters across the United States reluctantly agreed to start IDing people to see R-rated movies. Assuming there was any chance that this person was under the age of 17. Our rating is the equivalent of a 15 in the UK. Is it really? I didn't even know that. Yeah, I always thought it was an 18. So so X-rated would presumably be 18. NC-17, I think, is what it is. Oh, NC-17. I think X-rated was just pornographic, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's pornographic. Uh, that's Midnight oh, okay. Cowboy was X-rated. <laughs> Which is surprising when you watch it now. I mean, you know, it's a great film. It's the only X-rated film, I think, to win an Oscar. Interesting. Uh, well, best picture as well. Yeah. Did either of you ever try sneaking into a 15-rated movie? I I remember, yeah, I, well, I remember going to see a 15 when I was not 15. The first 15 I saw, which was Matrix Reloaded or Revolutions. I had to think about the time frame, but it was one of those. Clearly, it's lasted well. Uh, I remember being very nervous and my dad putting, like, making sure I dressed somewhat smart as if all 15-year-olds dress smart. <laughs> Responsible father there. <laughs> yeah. Straight from court. <laughs> I don't know if I saw any in the cinema. Obviously, I saw plenty at home. Yeah, it doesn't count. <laughs> but I don't know if I actually went to see any in the cinema. But I think I went to see a 12 before they introduced 12A. <sighs> Unbelievable. When maybe it was under 12. I uh, tried to get into Bad Boys 2. Uh, it was unsuccessful. <laughs> 
does that even exist anymore? Like sneaking into movies because most cinemas have assigned seating now, which makes it a lot harder. Like you know the old, I like the going see one film and then just sneaking into another one afterwards. There's also an element that that might make it easier because before you had to go to a person and ask for the ticket and try convince them that you were old enough, and now you can just buy it online and just hope nobody speaks to you. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, wait for the person at because some cinemas have someone at the door checking the tickets, don't they? Sometimes, but yeah. I suppose some do, some don't. But I guess like it's it's weird because I I don't even check film certificates anymore. No, no. <laughs> so I wouldn't even know. I think they're they're just a lot more security around cinemas now. Even just before the lockdown, I was watching a film and I was just there by myself, just on my phone before the film had even started, and someone came in and told me to turn my phone off. Good. And the, even like the, as in the well, no, I can understand if I was watching the film, but like the even the adverts hadn't started, like it was just in the black screen, and I was just on my phone, and someone told me to turn it off. What someone who worked there? Yeah, someone who worked there. Someone who worked there came and told me to turn my phone off before like even the adverts, before like the, you know the actual time of the film. So it was so surreal. That is weird. Okay, yeah, that is weird. So. With the R rating in America, there is a caveat similar to 12A over here that if you're with an adult, you can get into an R rated film. Okay. This whole news made Paul reading for Universal, who were about to launch a teen sex comedy, but now they had to rely on parents taking their children to see Ugh. American Pie. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have been pleasant. <laughs> So the movie American Pie was released in July 1999 and follows four American teenagers who decide to make a pact to lose their virginity before high school graduation. Thanks to ITV2, I have seen this movie probably every few weeks. It's always on and I always catch the end of it. I think I can recite every line in this movie. I mean, thankfully I like it, but I think even if I didn't, I think I'd still be able to because just how often it is on TV. I think like the combination of American Pie one and two get confused in my head. I feel they're just a, like one continuous film. Like everything feels the same, but it, it's that classic. Uh, like I swear, all American sort of high school films. Everyone looks about twenty five. And I remember as a kid just thinking, when am I gonna grow? <laughs> when am I gonna look like these people? When am I gonna look like um? What's Oz? He's just like this. Like, it looks like he's about forty. Um, I did check the ages of when they were in the film. Other than Kevin, they're all in their mid-twenties. Yeah. I think it was just like a... It's probably just like a way of getting around child labour laws. Yeah, probably. So how how old was Kevin? I think he was 19. It does, right. That doesn't fit. So still older than high school. I do like the film. I think it's infinitely quotable. It has a lot of memorable scenes and is kind of a snapshot of what, you know, coming from a before as just a child of what I thought this is what I thought being, you know, 16 to 18 was all going to be like. And I was wrong. <laughs> yes, I could uh, definitely sympathise with the part of the film where they were all virgins. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you we're talking about this as a explicit film. <laughs> I think, like, I had a bit, I've had a bit of a journey with this film, I suppose. Because, like, I think when... Probably the first time I watched it, I guess, was maybe... It wasn't when it came out. I bet it was probably, like, when I was, like, 13. Teen, something like that, maybe a bit younger, twelve, eleven, and it's like it's, it came around like as one of those kind of films where it was exciting to watch because you weren't supposed to be watching it, and you, you'd heard of, it, of its reputation for being like you know a bit bawdy and it has like you know like sexy bits in it and all things like that, and it's kind of like that's kind of what adds to the thrill of watching it. So you kind of view it from that perspective. Then when you're a bit older, you kind of 
understand the jokes a bit more and you feel a bit you're more on side with the characters because you can kind of sort of relate to them but everything that they're going through is always like a billion times worse <laughs> like you'd, ne- you'd never really encounter the awkwardness that they encounter on a daily basis it would seem but then i guess like the older you get the more you look at view of the film is slightly problematic in a, in a few ways which will probably come on to in particular the scene that just comes after the song that we're going to look at today i would say is in particular the most problematic scene of the entire film so that's my view on it yep and that song is mutt by blink 182 which was released sorry this version of the song was released in june 1999 so the song tells a story of a lustful couple but it's well supposedly written from the perspective of a narrator who dislikes the antics of the couple. I don't think that comes across in the song. <laughs> no. I suppose maybe bored, a bit bored of it. Like, I suppose it sounds a little bit like, nah, well, these two guys, like, uh, they're a bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of thing they're going through, but this is the kind of thing that everyone's going for, through. So, like, why are we bothered about it? I suppose that maybe comes across. It's always a bit tongue-in-cheek with Blink-182, though, anyway, isn't it? Yes, it's kind of hard to take them seriously half the time. Yeah. In what appears to be a reoccurring theme every time I'm the host, there's two versions of this song. The version that's in the movie is not the original version. That's the one in the movie is actually the re-recorded version with Travis Barker on drums. Okay. Originally, it was a guy called Scott Rayner, and this song was actually written for a completely different film. And I did a bit of research into this. It was a movie called The Show. Anyone seen it? No, never even heard of it. No, never heard of it. It's a 1998 surf movie starring professional surfer Benji Weverall, who ah, yes. uh, Wikipedia claims is the close personal friend of Tom DeLong, Okay. As in the singer, for anyone who doesn't know. So I tried to find the movie on like streaming or just online generally, I guess. All I could find was a three-minute-long clip on YouTube of a guy looking down a road with like really generic-looking shots of someone surfing in a cut. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. Was it, was, it a, um, was it a fish lens camera? Because I swear all surfing and skateboarding uh, videos from back then were on a sort of fish lens camera. No, no, it wasn't actually. I feel like it would have been improved if, if it was on a fish lens camera, because it does actually do the pan up the person. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, classic. <laughs> from doing this research, what I couldn't figure out is whether or not it was like an actual film or if it was like one of the sort of personal video that you would sell to companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like to try to get sponsorship if you were a, a skateboarder or a surfer. Yeah. Or kind of thing you had to create on Tony Hawk's Underground. That's exactly what I was going to yes. say, like the skateboarding videos. <laughs> I just always think like, I mean, that's kind of a good example of, I feel like the late 90s were just a time when sort of alternative rock was just so current and mainstream and desired by early teens, young adults. Like this, the soundtrack for this entire album, it was just like, they're at house parties where, you know, that is archetype sort of cool kids. And they're all listening to things like Blink-182, um, like Sugar Ray. Bare Naked Ladies. Bare Naked Ladies, yeah. Newfound Glory. <laughs> Simple plan. <laughs> but yeah, Third Eye Blind, things like this. And, you know, nowadays, I mean, it's just completely different. I'd always find it so weird, like, that, you know, they're listening to Offspring. We were born at the wrong time. <laughs> She'd been born like five years earlier. We've been the coolest people changed what cool was what was cool is now completely different fun fact travis barker is not credited for the song despite the fact it's his performance in the film oh really and his acting credit his name is spelt wrong (laughs) how do you spell it wrong how do you spell travis barker wrong barkor oh okay (laughs) like parkour (laughs) dog skateboarder barkor wow (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the level I'm going at. Had Travis Barker just joined the band then? Because I know he wasn't on like the first two albums, was he? Yes, Mutt was the first song they did together after joining, so he'd only been in the band for a month at this point. Yeah. This episode of that song from that movie is essentially a sequel to our Breakfast Club episode. Both movies presenting teenagers dealing with problems with uh, awkward, poorly aged sequences, let's say. The comparisons, you've got Kevin in American Pie, who's the brain. Oz is the athlete. Stifler's the basket case. Vicky's the princess. And, of course, Jim is the criminal because he broadcasts the woman getting changed to the world without <laughs> her permission. <laughs> yes. So it is this scene, probably the most famous scene from the, the movie where Mutt by Blink-182 appears, in which the foreign exchange student Nadia is getting changed in Jim's room and he sets up a webcam without her knowledge so he can watch it at his friend's house. But he accidentally sends it to everybody in the school. This was uh, awkward watching. <laughs> yeah, definitely nowadays. I suppose like it wasn't when you first watched it, because <laughs> you just going along with the film, like, oh, this is hilarious. And actually now it's like, ooh. And I think what makes it, what compounds it, makes it worse, is the fact that doesn't she like get sent back to wherever she's from, like Slovakia or somewhere? Which is just like awful. Like she's she's really not done anything wrong, and there's not many repercussions for Jim other than like he's a bit you know humiliated at school because he got filmed like prematurely ejaculating twice. But it's like, but she gets like deported. <laughs> it's like so much worse for her. I guess it doesn't centralize at all on those sort of real elements. This is a very sort of it's just a whirlwind cringe topia of these four boys, and that's the, just the humor they're playing on doesn't matter what actually yes. happens in real life or what problems they may cause. It's just all about embarrassing situations and watching them yeah. fumble through. Yeah, Nadi is basically just like a conduit for that. I think that's the thing. I don't even think they even realise what the problems in that scene, because they, I imagine in the writing process it was just, how could we embarrass Jim? And they're not even thinking at all about all the things that brings up about, well, yeah, just about consent. Yeah. And I mean, cause it's only 20 years ago, you know. If you, until you sit down someone and say, yeah, think about it again from a different perspective and a different point of view, then you realise, oh shit, yeah, because the whole focus is on Jim. Well, it's interesting you say that because I thought this particular sequence was probably the one that's most comparable to The Breakfast Club because of the scene in The Breakfast Club where Jack potentially sexually assaults Molly Ringwald's character. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. I feel like this film, it, tra- it almost, let's say, gets away with it because... In this one, it's Jim who is ultimately embarrassed. Yes. Whereas in The Breakfast Club, it's Claire who's embarrassed. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Either way, it does not land quite the same way in 2020 in a post-Me Too world. Yes. Yeah, and I think like to continue the comparison even further with Breakfast Club, it's just like the depiction of the female characters in this film in general. Like, I think, is it, is it Vicky that's with Kevin? Yeah. That's Tara Reed's character. Yeah. Tara Reed's character. She's like a gatekeeper of sex, basically. And that's just like this classic female trope in sort of these teenage films, isn't it? That she's just like withholding sex from him. And that's kind of the way the characters are in the film. They're either gatekeepers or they're like a bit crazy sex wild, like the band camp lady, Alison Hannigan. Or Vicky's best friend. Yeah, or uh, Stifler's mum, <laughs> for instance. So it's like there's only really two types. It's just like a step further from Breakfast Club where there's really one type. <laughs> yeah. But it's still not really a great depiction of sort of women's interpretation. I know the story's about the four guys, but they, they, the women are not particularly depicted well in this film, I don't think. No. They're not very 3D characters, are they? They're either, yeah, gatekeepers or want loads of sex. There's no in-between. Whereas the guys, there's a bit more of that. There's, there is that sort of in-between. Yeah, absolutely. You sort of see a full spectrum. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, a lot of it is, like, tasteless. And like Alex said, this sort of forbidden fruit of they're talking about sex and I'm, you know, and it's this taboo thing. Because it is basically just, what, an hour and a half, two hours of just talking about sex, how to get sex, problems with sex, that sort of thing. And so, you know, it's like saying sex into, like, a ten-year-old and watching them laugh. It's, the, you know, it's that kind of humour, isn't it? That character is almost in the film as Stifler's younger brother, who is just obsessed with the word sex. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what's his name? Mini Stifler, that's well. So in a weird twist, Blink-182 are not actually in the scene because they agreed to put the song in the movie. They'd actually got the job as actors. Really? <laughs> so strange. Yeah, it is. I mean, at this point, are Blink-182 sort of big news? Or is this still sort of early on when they're kind of just warped to fodder? So this is one year out from their breakthrough album, Enema of the State. Okay. This song is on the album, isn't it? Yes, the re-recorded version, yes. They'd been handed a version of the script uh, back when it was called East Great Falls High, before it was called American Pie. They thought it was so funny that they went and started formulating a song to appear in the film, thinking that they would agree because the band were already there. Obviously, they ended up just re-recording an old song, so they clearly didn't work too hard on it. <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned before, the, the song, though, is in the scene, and the song apparently depicts a couple engaging in sexual activity, but with a negative view. Why do you think they would pick a song that has a negative view of sex for this scene if we're supposed to be cheering on Jim? I don't even know if you if you are in a way because the the film gets its humour from laughing at the characters. You're not laughing with them, so I think it's it's already evidently from knowing how the film goes. It's not going to be a smooth sail. This isn't go- this isn't going to be your typical romantic experience that you'll remember forever loss of your virginity as it, i guess it's always mythicized and prophesized for young people yeah it's kind of i suppose like blink when are probably a bit more a bit older than the characters in the film i don't know how old they were at this point but i think they're probably worth in the early tw- early to mid 20s and i suppose maybe they're looking back at this sort of story about high school and how much sex is like put up on this pedestal of one of the most important things and they're sort of saying well maybe in hindsight isn't as important or as life-defining as as it seems, and maybe that's sort of what the song is getting at. I feel like the only reason is because Blink-22 gave them the song to use. I, I just can't see them listening to this song and thinking, oh, this really fits that scene. I think it's just, let's, let's use it. <laughs> if they're given us a song, let's use it. It fits the scene in terms of the production of that an actual scene where he's like running from one house to another, and it's quite like a fast tempo song. So I sort of yes. it fits that way. But yeah, lyrically, I don't think it fits at all, really. Other than sort of it picks up on something that underpins the negative points of the film in a way, like what we were saying. Like one of the lines is like, "She's open, waiting for more," and I know he's only looking to score. And I suppose that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the female characters, and maybe to the male characters, it's all just about having sex. And I know, like, that's not necessarily true with all the characters in the end. Like, um, it's also, um, I can't remember the girl's name, the one from American Beauty. But then they obviously don't have to go all the way in the end, do they? No. They no. sort of commit to not. And so, like, you know, there's, he's probably the best character out of the entire group, really, when it gets to the end of the film, because their relationship is the most rounded one. So, yeah, I guess it really doesn't fit, does it, in terms of lyrically? Like you say, though, I don't, I don't think they care. No, I don't think it matters. I highly doubt the producers even listen to it. And I think that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like on this podcast, we've talked about a lot of songs where they really do fit thematically and lyrically. 
and like it's a pointed choice to write that song for that film whereas this is just a classic example of they've got they want to make a soundtrack that's relevant to the audience yeah and they're just like throwing it in just because it sounds good (laughs) not because it has any sort of deeper meaning there is one person that does not think this song sounds good and his name is travis barker Oh, really? Really? He'd only been in the band a month, so he felt that it wasn't the right place for him to say, this song's not very good, and here's how I'd change it. He wanted to basically redo the entire song to be hip-hop influenced. (laughs) Sounds very Travis Barker, to be fair. (laughs) It does. But can you imagine this scene if there was hip-hop music playing over it? No. It always reminds me of Not Another Teen Movie. They're all basically middle-class white kids. Anyone who's not middle-class and white is token or stereotypical. Just, it always reminds me of not another team movie of the guy who just constantly points out that he's the only black guy at the party. Yeah, yeah. And the other guy has to get sent home. The music and everything, like the house pies, they've all got these massive, luscious house pies. American Pie isn't sort of revolutionary in that sort of team movies. I think it's hard to be revolutionary, but it's just of a, a certain snapshot of late 90s, early noughties of just... It's alternative rock, it's mindless, easy beats, happy, cheery, nothing's a problem, just crack on. And I don't think hip-hop sort of resembles that. But yeah, it's middle, even upper class in some senses. Yeah, I mean, look at the house that Jim lives in, it's massive. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, every time they've got these house parties, I mean, they, they, in the second one, they go to that, like, beach house. I mean, my God, that's that's some, you know, expensive real estate. Yeah, and they're all turning up in their own cars. They're supposed to be 16 and they've all got sort of brand new pickups. Yeah, it's not um, exactly a realist film, is it? <laughs> no, but I think that's the whole point, isn't it? They, there's no dealing with actual sort of problems of, like, grades or... Yeah. Sort of, fam- you know, family drama is is mocked. It's like a, just a growth out film, isn't it? There's there's no real consequences, and this is what we... Except for Nadia, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, that's all that. They made that decision to make her... It's so extreme to send her home. But yeah, like for everyone else, like there's no consequences at all really for any no. of the actions. Including sleeping with a minor, in the case of Stifler's mom. In the case of Stifler's mom, yeah, which... Although is he not 18? I feel like he's 18. It's one of those things, I feel in modern films, they make many, many references to any kind of thing. Like, at the underage, they very vocally say, oh, it's his 18th birthday. Oh, he's just that, you know, she's just had her 18th birthday. (laughs) Very overt now. I think back then, probably weren't even aware. So uh, I think it's finally time for us to move on from this scene and talk about something else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think you'll be shocked to find out that nearly every single line spoken by Eugene Levy in this film was improvised. Well, it's just, I mean, he's not exactly got the most depth in a back catalogue of an actor, but it does sound like what I'd imagine Eugene Levy to say. <laughs> just a natural, normal thing. Yep. Originally, Jim's dad was written to be quite creepy, sort of egging on his son to do stuff, or like telling him, you need to get this sorted out now sort of thing. And it was, Eugene Levy was like, this isn't working, it's not going to work. Let me just do what I want to do with this character. But don't let Jason Biggs change what he has to say. So a lot of the lines is Jim, Jason Biggs, actually reacting to something random with a predetermined phrase already in mind. Okay. Which just adds to the sort of awkwardness between them because they're almost talking to each other from two different scripts. Uh, Yeah, it'd be interesting to watch it back and have that in mind. There's there's a bit where Jim's dad buys him some porno magazines. (laughs) Yeah. And it's quite clear that he's ad-libbing whilst Jason Biggs is just trying to say his normal line. Let's see if you can guess this. Knowing that the dad was originally going to be a bit, a bit creepier, a bit, a bit harder on Jim, but still obviously tried to be in a comedic character. Any ideas who was originally going to play Jim's dad? Ooh, we're well, no, in sort of late nineties. Yes. Creepy dad. Like a, a harder-edged, 
but still trying to be comedic character that put, try pushes Jim. All I'm thinking is probably because they're relatively similar is the guy who plays Ross's dad in Friends. What's his name? Oh, his name. As in Jack Geller. Yeah, Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Yes. Yeah, because like he in he's basically a very similar character. To this, but is a bit more like creepy. Like you know the episode with uh, Monica and Richard, and there's all that stuff about him dating the younger woman. Yeah. So he kind of fits. He's obliviously creepy, isn't he, all the way through? But I'm guessing it's not him. <laughs> nope, it's not him. Any guesses, Ben? Give us a clue, D. Give us a clue. Um, when he died on screen, he only had one regret. Um, and that regret was Garfield too. <laughs> I honestly don't know. When he died... Oh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Bill Murray, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, so originally, Bill Murray was going to play Jim's dad. Yeah, I could see Bill Murray being creepy. I can't see him doing the film, though. <laughs> yeah. And obviously he didn't. Well, apparently, it was, it was quite far down the line. He was very close to being in the film, but it was scheduling conflicts that ultimately forced him out, rather than not liking the script or not wanting to be in it at all. Really? That's weird. I could see that how he's, like, perfect casting for, like awkward but like yeah like a bit more of a harder creepier edge definitely yeah even when bill murray smiles there's he just doesn't look happy he's quite uh weird in ghostbusters if you ever watch it back yes yeah i watched it like about two three weeks ago i mean he's just well he's perverse isn't he really <laughs> yes so it essentially would have been him playing that character with a son yeah no no thank you bye-bye next keep me with eugene levy how about further yes you genius and Eugene Levy, of course, the only person who's in every American Pie film, even the sequels. Yeah, I know. That's the, that's the best example that his career didn't take off. <laughs> uh, excuse me, I've got a fun fact here. Oh, no. Uh, if you're not watching Shit's Creek on Netflix, you should be. And he's the dad in that. <laughs> Shit's Creek? Shit's Creek. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it come up on Netflix. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's, it's really good. The final series is on Netflix on... Well, it's on May 16th, which I guess when this comes out will have been, like, a few days ago. So, get on it now. Weirdly, there's actually a character in that TV show called Mutt. Everything's coming together. You just you planned, all, you planned this all together. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried to find out whether or not it was a reference to American Pie, but nothing came up. And also, I didn't want to spoil what happens in the final series, because it's already aired in America. So, I didn't look too hard. <laughs> But I highly recommend it to anyone listening. It's a fantastic show. And it shows you that Eugene Levy can actually do a bit of acting. Mm. <laughs> ben sounds... Uh... I have my doubts. <laughs> Though it would have been better with Bill Murray. I, I mean, have, have, any, have anyone actually, other than Sean William Scott, have they, the cast really done anything else in this film? Um, have you not seen The Loser? I was going to say Jason Biggs was in The Loser just after it. <laughs> I know, but no, I, know, I don't mean anything. I imagine they've acted again. I mean, we know the what's-her-face. I forget her name, the girl that was in... American Beauty, but they've not really had careers. Alison Hannigan, I suppose, has, hasn't she? Because she was in Buffy at the time, and she was in How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, she has. Oh, yeah, she did. Yeah, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, yeah. Weirdly, actually, it's what I noticed is that Sean William Scott is not even credited as Sean William Scott. It's Sean W. Scott. Yeah, really? He was obviously going for something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he was trying to sound a bit more, uh, let's say, intellectual. Yeah, and he never never, never has ever played an intellectual in any film ever. You're the King Wheeler. <laughs> I do like the fact that you can watch American Pie and then watch Role Models and it is the same character and you could very easily just be a sequel. Surely you could watch uh, Sean William Scott movies, all of them in together, and it's just Stifler jumping from, like, Stifler playing hockey, Stifler looking after a child. <laughs> That'd be nice, actually, just, like, writing, like, get, listing all the films together and, like, writing a small little connection that brings them together. It probably wouldn't take much. No, we could uh, create a spin-off podcast where we create like a chronological exploration of Sean William Scott's career 
<laughs> yep. I love it. Are you down for that? Yeah, I actually am. If it means I have to watch Woodcock again, then no. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> Sounds good, though. I do get the impression that Sean William Scott is not like any of the characters he plays on screen in real life. Well, he's definitely not like Stifler, is he? Because isn't he gay in real life? What? I thought that was a rumour. I, f- I remember seeing that. Ru- I swear I saw that on in- the internet a long time ago and it wasn't true. Well, I hope I'm not pushing that if it's not true. But I, th- I thought that it was true, but maybe not. I remember seeing it. It might be. I honestly don't know. I'm just trying to... <laughs> I am also frantically googling. Spout. No, I- no, it is definitely not because he was married last year to Olivia Korenberg. Oh, okay then. Well, I'll take it back entirely. Sorry. <laughs> Should do my research. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember seeing that on the internet, but that's the internet, isn't it? Oh, he's in Welcome to the Jungle, isn't he? Yeah, of course. And Bulletproof Monk. I mean, my God, that is a classic. Actually, yeah, that. but he's still playing Sean William Scott, just he's lost a job. Uh, one film where he comes across as himself, not playing a character, which makes you think he's not like this, is he's in Jackass 3. Oh yeah, yeah, he's quite timid. And he is like one of the most boring people on the entire film. He's like the referee, isn't he, for the football game? Yes, that's right. And he basically just goes, hi. And he's just awkwardly in the background of a few scenes whilst everyone else is not even being that active compared to a normal Jackass scene. He's just really timid. He's great in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, yes. When he plays Country Mac, that is a fantastic role for him. (laughs) Right, so anyway, probably get back to the actual uh, podcast. When I told you we were going to do American Pie this week when it was my pick, was this the song you thought of? When you said it, I started singing a song in my head, and then I realised that is the intro song that I was singing. No song sort of came to mind for me, because okay. I, I remember there being a lot of songs in it, like, constantly. I didn't remember that there being, like, one specific song for the film. <laughs> ben, is the song you're thinking of, does it go like this? This bed is on fire with passionate love. No, it's not that one, no! <laughs> It's a good song, though. I think it's another Blink One Eight Two song. I swear there is a, another Blink One Eight Two song in American Pie Two. It's like it comes on over the Universal sort of globe. Yes, and I think it might be American Pie Two though, but it's Blink One Eight Two. But I know that song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the song I was singing was laid by James. Yeah, from Manchester. If you type in American Pie theme song, that's what comes up. And like the Wikipedia page for that says it's the theme song to American Pie. I'm gonna Google this. You can hear me type. So where where does that song feature in the film? Is that at the very beginning? That song is not in the film. It's not in the film at all? Nope. And it's not in American Pie 2 either. The first time it was in any of the American Pie films was American Pie 3. But this is this sort of Mandela effect where people think that song is in every American Pie. Yeah, it's weird. That's so strange. It is. It is. It's coming up a few times. So, yeah. From doing research and watching the original trailer, it's, it's on the original like 1998 trailer for American Pie. It's like a three minute long trailer. It's really weird. But people seem to think that it was in the film, but it's not. The only other song that you could say has a claim to being the theme song of American Pie is One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies. Yeah, it's <laughs> That's played twice, best at the end when uh, Eugene Levy starts dancing down the corridor. <laughs> <laughs> That's so strange, like you said, like the Mandela. It must, be a, it must be some sort of right thing. Or maybe it just didn't fit. Yeah, well, if you ever watch this trailer, it's, like, cause it's three minutes long. I think there's about six different songs in it. This film's never going to do well critically, is it? So they just want it to build hype, build buzz, include as many sexual-related words as that you can have in a commercial, and stick it out there, and hopefully people will sneak into the cinema to go see it. Well, you say that it wasn't well-received critically, but there was one critic who gave it four out of five and said it was one of the best films he'd seen in a long time. His name is Roger Ebert. <laughs> <laughs> Had to be, didn't it? <laughs> He's getting quite a few shout-outs, I feel, in this podcast. Of course it does. Wikipedia citation legend. Yeah, to be fair, I think I think that's the thing, isn't it? Every film just has the Roger Ebert quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you have to give it four out of five stars? If he gave it four stars, he only gave him out of four stars. Oh. I assumed it was out of five. Yeah, no, I think that was the thing. He only ever rated films out of four stars. So you gave it a top mark? Yeah, full marks then. Or he was just feeling very nice that day. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the characters are likeable, and maybe that's part of the reason it had a bit of lasting power, and they managed to get so many sequels out of it. But I mean, it does like gloss over a lot of the other issues. I mean, even Buddy Stifler. You should just hate him, but he is... Well, you do love to hate him in a way, don't you? He is the comedy of the film. The one-liners the insults, the clever wording and adding a lot of new vernacular to probably a lot of teens at the time. Yeah, I mean, there's so many quotes from this film, isn't there? Oh yeah, massively. It was this film that sparked the term MILF. Yeah, <laughs> yeah was that, is that, is that, what's his face? The guy, John Cho. John Cho. Yeah. yeah. He's had a pretty good uh, sort of revival of late. He's done, he's done right for himself since this film. That film yeah. Searching was really good if you've seen it. Actually. Yeah, really good film. So it's a film called Columbus on it's on Amazon if you want to watch it. The Star Trek reboot. It's good in that. And how can we forget Harold and Kumar? <laughs> yep. And he was never too big for the American Pie franchise. Even after he made it in Hollywood, he came back for the reunion and filmed another scene with his fellow actor as Milf Guy 1 and Milf Guy 2. <laughs> Is that how they were written, put into the credits? Yep, that's what they're called in the credits. God. <laughs> Milf Guy 1. You don't want that on your CV, do you? Did they keep calling him that as well in every single film? <laughs> did, did they ever get names, the MILF guys? No, they never got names. Never. That is, that is, he was christened MILF, surname guy. <laughs> Let's go with uh, Alex first. Do you think American Pie still has significance in 2020? Ooh, significance. Depending on when you're listening. I think, yeah, 2020. It certainly was a big influence on a lot of films of the time. I think maybe its cultural significance or its significance now is like, a sort of demonstration of, in some cases, what not to do. Yeah. In terms of, like, what we discussed about that sort of middle scene. But I think there are positives about it, and I don't think you should be, like, completely stricken from the record, because I think it is... There is still... There's definitely humour in the film. It's still, even if you watch it now, you can cringe a lot of parts, but there is bits where you, like, you find yourself giggling and stuff. Yeah, maybe its significance is just, like, the, you know, this was a film from the 90s. This is yeah. not what we do anymore. <laughs> yep. And you're definitely right that at the time it had a massive impact because there were so many copycat films that came out oh, yeah. following in like Road Trip and Euro Trip and things like that. Road Trip definitely is one I had in my head. Like when I said that before, like, oh, it, it came in line with like those films that you weren't supposed to watch, but you sort of like maybe like I had an older brother, obviously, and like, oh, you went to sleepovers and like someone had a VHS copy. Those were the kind of films that you would definitely watch. <laughs> and they all sort of came around at the same time. Hopefully one day we'll do Euro Trip on this podcast. That was what I was thinking the Matt Damon song. This guy doesn't know. What about you, Ben? Do you think it's still has significance today? No, not really. I guess, similar to Alex, I think it's a film of the 90s. It represents that sort of teen movie that existed in that sort of small period, but those kind of films just don't exist anymore in the same sense. A film that's done a really good job of it recently is Booksmart. Yeah. That's probably the only one, and that's more of a uplifting, positive character, sort of. It's that sort of self-exploration. Yeah, but also like the whole idea of like sort of like a bit of a pact, like oh well, we're yes. gonna go out and do it's you know it's it has a lot of similarities, but it's just a lot kinder to everybody. Like it's, yeah. it's such a more well-rounded oh, yeah. film. Yeah, it's inclusive and not exclusive, isn't it? That's it exactly. Yeah, where I think you could definitely argue that American Pie is not inclusive. <laughs> no, I think that sums up that very nicely. So let's move on to the next segment, which is. Song or movie? We need a thing for this. <laughs> I thought I thought you were actually going to play a theme. Then you, you paused. I was like, "Oh my god, there's a theme coming." <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I thought I would tease you. <laughs> yeah. One day. One day. I don't have the skills to pull off the uh, the impact I want for movie or song. I don't have the voice 
to do the, <laughs> the, the booming movie or song type thing. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pay one of those people on Fiverr. Movie or song, Alex. Um, the song is Mope by Blink One Eight Two. Not <laughs> <laughs> One Week by the Bare Naked Ladies. Not that other one, Blink One Eight Two song, and not Laid by James. Not Laid by James because I, yeah, I mean that is a is a tune for definite. Um, I don't know. It's a really difficult one this week. I think not because of like in other weeks where it's been like oh well both are good. <laughs> Thinking more because like neither are great. That's kind of the position I'm in. What if you split? It? What if you think? What would like eleven year old you in two thousand one have said, and what would you say now? Okay, so I think probably like yeah, two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Alex probably say film or the film franchise, especially the second one. I think was a classic. Big words from eleven year old Alex. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's very eloquent. Now probably song, but again, it's not like a classic Blink One Eighty Two song. It's not one where I'm like that's I've got to keep that in the uh, in the catalog. But yeah, probably song, just because I think when you look back at the film, you pick up more of the parts of it that are not okay. Whereas the song, I don't really have a problem with. <laughs> and it is catchy. Okay, okay. How about you, Ben? Move it. I think there's about 20 other Blink-182 songs that sound exactly the same. So I think I could cope with one less. I like Blink-182. Whereas, you know, American Pie, I feel like it's something I remember, you know, of watching that and sort of my views of it at the time. So I'd rather keep that in memory than the song Mutt. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, keep it in memory. Yeah. <laughs> keep the fond parts in memory. I like yeah. that. I would go in movie as well, so it's uh, for once, it's not a clean sweep. In your face, Alex. Damn it. The first time it's not a clean sweep and I lose. <laughs> that means you uh, you lose your place on the podcast. Oh, well, fair enough. It's been a good run. <laughs> well, it's been a run, hasn't it? It's been, it's been a run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a canter. <laughs> it's been something. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. What do you think, listeners? Do you think the movie should beat the song 2-1, or do you think it should be a clean sweep and you should tell Alex he's wrong? <laughs> I'm sure there were plenty of things, such as show about Sean William Scott. <laughs> That's why you don't listen to the internet. Except for us. Yeah, sorry, yeah. You should listen to our podcast. Yeah. Unless you receive it via a way that isn't the internet, which I'm not sure how you do that. Mail, right, in a long letter. <laughs> uh, or, like, buy some radio space and broadcast it. <laughs> that song from that movie, the book, the podcast, the book. <laughs> The audiobook. <laughs> then now you then on CD, yeah, and you go and sit in your car, listen to it on CD, but don't drive anywhere. Uh, if you are listening to this while driving, you need to take the next left turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. So right, so, uh, follow us on Twitter. It's TSFTMPod. Oh, kind of stumbled that time. I said it. The guys on the board are holding up an eight, so I think it's all right. I'll take an eight. Yeah, you you got there. So it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Alex. Regardless of what I just said, God bless the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye from Ben. I'm going to watch the best Sean William Scott movie, Dude, Where's My Car? The best one is Role Models. Role Models, come on, Ben. <laughs> Dude, Where's My Car? It's a llama. It is a good film. It is a good film. So, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. And then. I'm going to have to make that into an actual jingle at some point so I can put a nice clear one in. In fact, Ben, do a nice clear one now. I'm not using that one. Give someone a heart. He said nice and clear.